Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmel. I'm a co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm terrific. Thank you. All right. So we've got a good show today. First of all, we're going to talk about the CPP. Mm-hmm. Not so bulletproof as some people may think it is. Correct. Uh, yeah, we'll explore that idea. We're also going to explore if that gets you tense. Okay, We're going to talk <laughs> about if you love massages, where do you get the best ones in the world? And how does culture affect the type of massage you're going to get? Yeah, and you know, if you want to feel like you won the lottery, you need a good night's sleep. And the sleep is a big problem. We're going to talk about that as well, too. I'm, I'm real interested in that one, as I am not a good sleeper. <laughs> Is it war? Wow. <laughs> it's a start of something. Let's put it that way. Donald Trump uh, yesterday, no, that's Thursday. Yes, Thursday came out and said that they've uh, launched missile attack on Syria after um, reports of what he saw on uh, on the destruction to a lot of children. Well, the chemical attacks, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, oil markets were pushed around. A lot of volatility in the overnight markets, you know, Thursday, Friday morning. Um, as a response of the uh, investment community trying to figure out what actually is going on. So here's where the, the concern came into. A couple people called me up Friday morning and said, so do you think now there's going to be a war, there's going to be a problem with the stock market? Or how is it going to impact my portfolio? And this is another headline news story at the end of the day. From a stock picker, from a portfolio manager's perspective, I can't tell you what the situation in the Middle East is going to impact uh, the entire world economics. I can't tell that right now. I, I have to look for more data. But what I can say is, if we are picking good, strong companies that are fundamentally driven in the economy that we have today and the foreseeable future, then those companies will perform based upon that. If you're going to buy and sell investments purely because of of headline news, mm-hmm. then I caution you on either losing out an opportunity or more, impor- por- more importantly, taking a loss when you don't need to. Yeah. Yeah, there's good, that's a good point. Let's add to the headline um, uh, market noise. 98,000 jobs in the United States created. Expectation 180,000. Has the U.S. economy stalled? So there. So one thing that I want to mention is that when I look at the year-over-year data on those numbers, that winter storm last March mm-hmm. causes a bit of a problem for the year-over-year numbers. Mm-hmm. It also takes away the people that are, that are seasonally employed and takes the hours off of the off the, uh, the 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 calculation, which means your hourly rate per person has gone up too. So I look at this as a double negative inverse. Okay. Wow, that sounds like an ETF, some it, kind of crazy ETF yeah. you can trade. So the double negative means both are not good situations, but the inverse is the problem. I don't think the job numbers that they're showing right now are as bad as people are making it out to be, and I don't think the the increase in income is as good as it is. So it's a double negative inverse. And you got to be careful about taking, here's the issue I have, you can't take one month's data and say that's a problem, right? If you look over the past three months, even with the revisions down that we had, they're still showing massive job growth, really strong job growth in the United States. Inflationary pressure not really there, running at 2.7%, but you've got wage growth going on. What about here in Canada? Yeah, um, I mean, again, the headline number it can be really messy uh, in Canada. It was a strong headline number. You might point or poke some holes in it and that there was a full-time, uh, sorry, a, a self-employed, big self-employed component to that. That's often not considered good quality, uh, although be it full-time, just not good quality, full-time jobs. Um, so that's maybe the fly in the ointment there. Uh 
Alberta had a good number, 20,000 jobs created in Alberta, mm-hmm. right? That was, uh, it was nice to see that. Our unemployment rate didn't move, so there's clearly a bunch of people coming back into the workforce. It indicates there's still more people that want to participate. Uh, but overall, I'd say it was uh, net positive, certainly relative to expectations. I was talking to some people in the housing market here in Calgary, and they were telling me that the, uh, the, the pickup is coming back. People are starting to look more for homes. Right. Some, some are starting to build more. And so it's, it's not the heyday, but it's moving up. So up is better. That's going to be a good sign. Hopefully it'll trickle through. Um, I met with a couple of, um, of liquor store owners mm-hmm. and they were asking me about of how... Of course you of did. Of course I was, because that goes to my... We'll talk about that <laughs> when we talk about sleep. And these owners were, were concerned about, about the economy and so forth, but they were saying that they're seeing increase in liquor sales as well too. Yeah, but that, that can be contrary. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So just be careful that just because um, liquor sales are up does not necessarily mean that the economy is growing. What you have to look at mm. is is business owners who provide or sell liquor. If their inventory has to start to be replenished, that's where the key opportunity is to see that this is a, a leading indicator of the economy turning around here in Alberta. I was reporting last week about the uh, home prices in Calgary and Alberta. And in fact, in Edmonton, they were down year over year by 0.1%. In Calgary, they're up 2.6%. So interesting. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's waiting for the big uh, a big rebound, but things look like they're stabilizing a little bit, and we'll see. I mean, that's a good jobs report. Put those things together, and maybe we're through the worst of it. Yeah, and that's what TD Bank said with their economists. They said mm-hmm. that this is 2017-18 is going to be a turnaround for Alberta. They might be the leader in uh, in GDP growth amongst the countries, amongst the entire country in 2018. Yeah. The, uh, the oil bounce we saw with respect to the Syrian uh, attacks, interesting. It's expected. It's, expected. I, yeah, it's it, the it Middle is expected, East. It's, but it's not a Syrian issue, right? That's an Iranian response issue uh, that yeah. becomes more important. Let's talk about the Fed policies, uh, policymakers and the balance sheet. We were speculating that some of the communication may move away from the rate increases, as I think they have pretty um, transparently forecast future rate increases, interest rate increases in the overnight rate. Um, but they have a $4.5 trillion balance sheet. That's all the mortgages and bonds that they bought over the past, whatever it been, so eight years, to add additional stimulus by pushing yep. interest rates down. We got our first hint that this is on their radar now. Yeah, it's going to cause a bit of a, a rippling effect. More importantly, on the fixed income side, which will then impact those dividend payer stocks, those high yield or, or riskier kind of companies who are borrowing at low rates now, it may impact them. So you have to look at the quality of your stock. And again, if you own stocks, the best way to understand the quality of that company Look at the bond market. Look at what the bond guys are saying about the quality of that company, and that will tell you, give you an indication of how risky that stock is. Trading was interesting. I watched the uh, you know a two hundred point uh, Dow Jones gain get wiped <laughs> out, and then a little more when this came out. Right, so there was there was a surprise to the market here. I don't think the market would have been thinking about this before mid twenty eighteen, and all of a sudden there could be a reduction in these prices, and that means interest rates go up. Some of the stimulus comes out as a result of that. Um, you know, we'll we'll see how the market continues to in, uh, interpret that. I thought the response the following day on the Thursday was fine. Yeah. Um, so no, you know, no crazy volatility as a result of that. Let's jump over to Europe because uh, there was some hint in the last uh, rate decision by Europe that stimulus might be um, ending there. 
the policy makers there and the minutes to that meeting indicate that they were very specific in the nuance in their communication, but that they're not guiding towards a normalization anytime soon. So they're, they're still kind of foot on the gas pedal. Yeah, so they're on the gas pedal, but they also have their hand on the handbrake just in case Brexit causes a problem, the French election causes the problem, Germany causes a problem with yep. their election coming down. We've got other issues that might be able to pull the handbrake and turn, not necessarily slam on the brakes and stop this thing from happening. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about our upcoming seminar because we got to make sense of all this and figure out how to profit and protect in this environment. And that's the name of the game, Profit and Protecting Your Portfolio on Tuesday, April 25th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. Please give us a call, 966-8400-966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. I, I firmly expect that the Q&A session after that piece is going to be very entertaining and interesting with all of the things that have gone on. We've had a busy week. And any questions allowed, you can ask anything in regards <laughs> to what we'll, we'll, we'll give you our views, our opinions, and our research as well, too. Yeah, so all of that has to be obviously factored into the not just the strategy, but the tactical positioning. All right, join us after the break to learn how to get the best sleep possible. You're listening to Newstalk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. And um, Faisal, we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart <laughs> today, which is sleep. Oh, sleep. That's near and dear to you. Well, yeah, it I is can, near and dear to my heart see. because I'm a terrible sleeper for all kinds of reasons. Because you get so little, you need so much of it, right? <laughs> That's right. Oh. I'm a great napper, though. That's my saving grace. <laughs> that's my special superpower is, is napping. Is? Yeah, that's right. Super napper. All right. <laughs> We've got Dr. Charles Samuels. He's medical director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance here in Calgary. Dr. Samuels, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Okay. How important <laughs> is sleep? Um... That's a good question. I mean, uh, it, it is important, but I, I don't like to overstate the importance of sleep um, because I think we're shifting in the last 10 years too far to one direction. But the fact is sleep provides very specific um, recovery um, capacity for human beings, um, and we should be aware of that because if we're noticing changes in things like our behavior, our concentration, mm -hmm. our memory, mm -hmm. maybe, and our appetite, it could be linked to the fact, as you say, not getting enough sleep or having poor quality sleep. Yeah, and there's a difference there, isn't there, between there. getting enough and, and poor quality. Maybe, maybe just sort of explain that to us. Yep, okay. So there's two ways that you can affect the sleep state, and what we say is that sleep forms the uh, foundation of recovery for human beings. So on a daily basis, every 24 hours, we as humans need to recover, and the foundation of that is sleep because our body has an opportunity to rest and regenerate. And there's a variety of different things that occur during that. So in the sleep state, um, each of us needs a certain amount, and most people aren't even aware of how much they need. And that average, we would speculate, is somewhere between 7.5 and 9 hours a night for most adults. Mm -hmm. And so if you get less than that, but it's good quality, there will be downstream negative effects over time. And those effects are, generally speaking, in cognition, so memory and concentration and behavior, but also in appetite as well. So our appetite can be driven towards high-calorie-dense foods as we get more sleep-deprived, even if we're getting good quality sleep. Mm. 
then the other is that you could get the right amount of sleep. You know, some people who need eight get their eight hours, but they wake up feeling unrested. And that's because the quality of their sleep is poor. And they may have what we call a primary sleep disorder. The typical one would be, and what most people are aware of, is sleep apnea. I got my hand up. I've got that, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) And so you know that if you don't treat that, it doesn't matter how much you sleep, you still don't feel refreshed from your sleep, right? So what about the opposite, doctor? When we have people, like, and and I'll take my case, I can't sleep 7.5 to 9 hours. You give me 6 hours, I'm good and I'm ready to go. So it's, I, I, um, what's... Is, is the quantity also um, more important than the quality? If you, can you get good six hours and you, you're up and off you go, is that, is that okay? Or am I going to start, you know, having problems like, hopefully memory problems, I can forget Dave, but, <laughs> but beyond that, is that going to be another problem? Uh, um, well, I, there, there, again, there's two ways to look at that. You are actually very right. As long as the quality of sleep is good, for the most part, you'll do reasonably well, but that doesn't mean you're getting what you need. So what I find, especially in people in industries like yours, is, oh, I can get six and I'm fine, but that's actually not what you need. And so over time, there will be decrements in performance, which is my interest. So I'm interested in high-performing individuals. Our research is is funded by the Canadian Olympic Committee, so we deal with sleep and human performance in elite athletes. And prior to that, it was at the Calgary Police Service, and I'm doing a study with the RCMP now. Mm -hmm. So we're interested in, you know, what's the limit? Like, how far can you disturb sleep before you actually affect an officer's performance, for instance, under stressful circumstances, or an athlete? Um, So we know that performance can be affected and that people get away with, you know, six when they need seven, and they do fine. No problem. But it's all a performance issue. And again, so, you know, a guy who's retired, for instance, you know, he doesn't have to perform at the same level as when he was working in his industry. So he may not be aware of that decrement. So it's, it's a very subtle thing. So, so being a high performance athlete like myself, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. And, oh, you're not joking. No. And having sleep apnea, so and not getting eight hours solid a night. What what, what role does uh, taking a nap? Can is it true? Yeah. Can you take a twenty so, minute nap? And is that does that have an impact? Your point is very well taken. Of how you manage your situation. One. In your industry, your sleep is disturbed because of your schedules. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking. Um, and so I'll see lots of people from the media because they're waking up at four because they're on air or whatever. Um, and so over a career in that industry, lots of sleep disturbance. So the survival strategy is napping. And so that would be the same as a surgeon who's on call. Mm-hmm. So we are big, you know, we're big advocates of using napping as a recovery strategy. And in fact, my postdoctoral researcher focuses on the role of napping in elite athletes. And, um, and we have and we give the athletes strategies for recovering sleep especially when they're traveling because travel affects their ability to get the sleep they need so there's absolutely no question that napping is very important so that and it speaks to the quality of sleep too so i'm interested in your what your research tells you or your experience tells you about if it's a you know a power nap of 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. can you actually get into rem sleep which is sort of recoverable sleep well actually that's wrong just oh. sorry not to be disrespectful. Oh, no, that's fine. Oh, tell him, tell him. <laughs> I, I, I tell I need, him he's wrong I need all the to time. know. Not, not. <laughs> so actually, that's a very important point to make because that's actually not what you want out of a nap. And oh. REM sleep is not recovery sleep. So, oh. 
Yeah. So this is very important for, you know, the general public to understand is that sleep staging is complicated and people have great misunderstandings and myths around what sleep staging means. The bottom line is that when it comes to napping, the strategy is shorter is better Mm -hmm. and the focus should be around 30 minutes. So 20 to 30 minutes, like you say. And the point is that you want to keep it short so you don't enter into recovery sleep. So that's actually, you actually don't want that. If you need naps that exceed 30 minutes, so people will say, oh, when I nap, I have to nap for like two hours. That already tells me that the individual is chronically sleep deprived. Right. So they need to be getting more sleep at night so that they can use napping as a good strategy. So that's important. So if you're napping, you are napping at 20 minutes. That means you're reasonably well slept overall, but you just need that little bit of catch up. And that's the ideal method for um, for napping. So now that we know that Dave's three-hour naps are not the right way of doing it. <laughs> Probably not. Well, you know what? I was attacked by the NHL on this issue because I think the pregame nap is really not good. Really? Yeah. And so, of course, that's part of the institution of hockey. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I was actually, there's a long article a number of years ago in the uh, Globe and Mail. I, I have it here and... Um, the only one who supported me was Don Cherry on, <laughs> so I was quite happy. Um, but the whole idea of that three-hour pregame nap is really not a good idea. Um, but you know, you're not going to change the culture. Sure. Um, but physiologically, when we're dealing with the athletes, um, we would not at all recommend that kind of napping oh. prior to an event. Okay, so how do we get the best sleep possible now? Well, what do we have to do? Well, bottom line, you mean in general for the general in population? General population, yeah. Yeah, get rid of your phone. Huh? Absolutely get rid of your phones, your iPads, your computers, and everything. And everything's turned off at 8 o'clock. Watch TV, listen to music, read a book. That is the number one thing now that is. And even in this article from this uh, um, paper I was given on um, this study in Britain, it, you know, they, they point out very clearly that the issue here is technology. It's, it's going to keep me in business forever because <laughs> it's destroying people's sleep. Is it the blue light that's coming from that, or is it the fact that your mind just doesn't settle? Yeah, and so that's a really good point. It's both, and my feeling is that it's more the interaction with the device than the light that's more destructive, but that's my own opinion. Um, The fact is that light, the light exposure, does have a negative physiological effect. Now, you said 8 o'clock. Is that just a standard number you picked out, or is that because I have an auto shut off on my phone, so no text messages, unless it's an emergency phone call that comes in, shuts off at 9 p.m., so I should move that to 8? Yeah, so my feeling, I'm very radical on this. My colleagues don't agree with me, but I have this feeling that we're all just too connected. So I sort of make, I draw a line in the sand and say, now, many of my colleagues say an hour before bedtime, but I I actually, you know, if I'm being interviewed, I say, you know what, we should all just be shutting down at 8 to 9 p.m., and that's enough. Hmm. I I, I agree with that. I mean, you've, it's... You can't, you got to settle your mind. Have somehow. you done that? Because you've got sleep apnea. You know me, you? I rarely answer my phone anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I do that all, all day long. Because you don't know how to use it. <laughs> I do, do that all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. so I, I think technology is the big one. And then the other is just, uh, you know, good behaviors during the day, you know, not too much caffeine. Nicotine is very bad for sleep, as is alcohol. Yeah. Very bad for sleep. Yeah, Contrary to popular belief, Faisal, you can't have two martinis before you go to bed. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks. Uh, now I got to change that too. I think that's great. a good. I think that's a great place to leave it. <laughs> okay. Doctor Samuels, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, you take care, guys. We've been doc- uh, Sorry, joined by Doctor Charles Samuels. He's the medical director of the Center for Sleep and Human Performance uh, here in Calgary. Before we sign off on this segment. We've got an upcoming seminar. Yeah, how do you get a good sleep knowing your retirement is safe? How do you know you're going to have income for the rest of your life? And how do you profit and protect in these types of markets? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, April 25th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seat, so please give us a call, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com to register. After the break, we're going to explore the idea of why an expanded CPP could be dangerous. You're on Newstalk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal. You're on Newstalk 770 and More Than Money. Let's talk a little bit about more than money. Well, let's actually talk about money and <laughs> okay. CPP. And is there going to be enough money? And what does it look like if it's expanded? And does it make sense? And, and we get that question a lot. When we sit down with clients, when we sit down with people who want a second opinion, the number one question that they worry about is, is there going to be enough money? And part of that is... Will their CPP still be there? Will the government take it away from them? Will, will there be enough money lasted uh, in, that, in that entire big bucket uh, called the Canadian Pension Plan? So, mm-hmm. you know, we've, we've seen some actual reports, but we've also seen now some reports that say we might have to take a second look at this. Well, and there's been some changes. There have been expansions. So uh, we need to talk a little bit about this, what it looks like, and is, you know, answer that question that we get asked all the time. And Nobody better to help us answer that question than Alex Lauren, who's the Director of Research with the C.D. Howe Institute. Alex, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about CPP2, the Expanded Pension Plan. Tell us a bit about what it entails. Well, CPP2 uh, is different than the base CPP, the CPP that's currently, uh, that, that we currently all, uh, all know and, and either receive or pay into. Uh, the, the the old CPP it's uh, mostly a pay-as-you-go uh, plan, which means that current workers are financing the every uh, every year's uh, benefits for retirees. So it's so, so that's why the concerns you just mentioned. There's a concern that you know, what I, if the economy goes really sour, then there's maybe not enough money to pay um, to to pay the, the current benefits. Uh, there's some investments too with base CPP, but it's 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 not a lot. It's really uh, it's a lot in absolute terms. It's a lot of money, mm-hmm. but it's not it's n- nearly like it's it's maybe 20% of what's required to pay uh, the benefits. It's just to be able to maintain the the, the contribution rate stable because if 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 it wasn't for these investments uh we wouldn't be able to do that like the 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 contribution contribution rate would keep increasing because population is getting older so now let's shift to the expanded cpp there's a difference uh the difference with the expanded cpp is that it's supposed to be fully funded or at least funded uh the difference here is it would be funded through uh contributions and investment income so uh, no, no one would, will be able to get the full benefit from the expansion, just the expanded part. No one will be able to get the full benefit of the expanded part of the CBP uh, before uh, 40 years' time. 
Mm. So uh, in a long time, because it's it's funded. So like in 20 years, you only funded 20 years, not 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 the full thing. It takes 40 years to fully fund your retirement. So uh, it's it's only in 40 years that people will be able to get the full uh, expanded CPP, and then after that, you know, it's the full CPP, the full expanded CPP will be uh, fully payable uh, after that, year after year. What impact is the um, hmm, the rates, the expected rates of return on investments going forward, having on this whole discussion around CPP versus CPP two? Well, that's it. Because the expanded CPP is funded, it depends on 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 investment returns much much more than the base CPP. And in fact, it depends so much on the rate of return that if for if if you if we end up with uh, a rate of return after 40 uh, in the very long term, whether it's 40 or 70 years, who, who cares? But in the long term, if we end up with a rate of return that's one percentage points lower than what what we expect, then we have a big shortfall. It's even if it's only one percentage point, because we depend on those investment returns. Whether in the current CPP, the base CPP, uh, most of the benefits are paid through uh, the current contributions, so we don't depend on investment returns as much. Um, and so we've made those calculations. Uh, we've we uh, and, and we've looked at at, at at what is assumed to be uh, the, the the rate of return in the long term over 75 years. Uh, the chief actuary, when 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 he did his calculations for the expanded CVP, he um, he assumed a, a a rate of return of a portfolio uh, invested in, within the, in the CPPIB, so mm-hmm. a portfolio uh, yielding 3.55 percent real. So that's 5.55 percent nominal. So for 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 all of us, like really, it's, it's 5.5. That's what that's what's assumed. Right. And and then that's net of fees, nets of investment investment management fees. So gross return of six point five five percent. So that's pretty. That's I mean, like I would love to get six point fifty five percent gross of fees or returns in my RSPs, right? Like there's there's some investment risk definitely in that portfolio. Like it's not a secure, safe portfolio, and so there are risks. And that means that there are chances, definitely there are some good chances, that uh, there'll be a shortfall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, we, we won't get to that. There are some chances uh, there's going to be a shortfall. But when, you, when we look at this, Alex, how many other pension plans that are, quote-unquote, fully funded do not take any investment risk at all? That's it. Yeah. Uh, that's the it, the, the. it depends. It depends. Like, if you look at most provincial... Uh, provincial employee pension plans, most of them, uh, the risk is shared. Uh, 50% the employer, 50% the employees. So if there's a shortfall, the employees will absorb 50% of it. Uh, if you look at teachers, because of teachers uh, they, they, in Ontario, teachers they they live really old, <laughs> older than the, the normal population, yep. and uh, so they have they they, they had fund, funding problems. Because of that, and and so they uh, they've cut the, some of the uh, the indexation, some of the inflation protection on the benefits, uh, because like the teachers are are on the hook for 50% of the risk. And so so they, there is some target benefit component in pretty much all of these uh, uh, defined benefit provincial pension plans. Right. In in the in the private sector, 
it's uh, the, the employer is on the hook for for anything. You know, if if their employer sponsored pension plans, where the employer is a sponsor and the employer is on the hook for uh, for shortfalls. And and what we see sometimes if the shortfalls are are too big uh, and 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 the the employer goes bankrupt, then then the employees are left with. Uh, with, with, with pension benefits that, that are lower than what they expected, which is not a really great outcome. But the employees definitely are absorbing some of the risk mm-hmm. too, right? So there's always risk, and there's always someone who pays for that. So in the CPP, the pensioner is not at risk. Is that what I'm hearing? In the CPP, uh, we, we, the, the problem with the, with the, with, uh, I mean, the expanded CPP, uh, the CPP too. The, the problem is in the legislation, as it is written. Uh, th- those risk questions they're left to regulations, and those regulations have not been written yet. They haven't been negotiated among 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 uh, uh, federal and provincial finance ministers yet. Correct. So so they adopted the plan with low contribution rates, so that it looks attractive. But they all those risk questions. They just like say, oh, we're going to discuss them later. We're going to we're going to draft the regulations later. So they so 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 there's so the plan is assuming a, a pretty high investment return, so that we can pay low contributions. Mm-hmm. But then what happens to those risks? What happens if there's a shortfall? Are we going to lower the benefits? Are we going to increase contributions? Well, the first reflex is always to increase contributions in those plans, and that's a problem. We already increase CPP contributions by a lot. QPP in Quebec, the same thing. It's always the first reflex. It's always let's increase contributions. But what happens when you do that is you make the next generation pay for the benefits of the older generation. That's not fair. And 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 and, and, and as it is, the contribution rate for the CPP will be. Uh, the twelve uh, percent up to the actual uh, the actual um, YMP, and then after that it's going to be eight percent. So it, it, it's still quite high contribution rates. Like uh, how, how much room is there to keep increasing what's those our, What's rates? our alternative, Alex? We've only got about a minute left, but what's our alternative? If we assume a zero rate of return in in the investment pension plan. Um, then either contributions have to go up or benefits have to cut. So if we're not going to take the risk out there, we're going to say we want a risk-free investment, somebody's got to pay. And who's going to pay that? Either we take the risk or we ask the contributors today to jack up their CPP contribution or we promise them less in the future. So out of those scenarios, what would you say is, is the one that you would suggest? Uh, th- th- this is a very uh, a very valid comment you're making. Uh, what we're suggesting is, is is something different than that. It's to uh, to promise a uh, a secure benefit, but not the 100% of the benefits. So promise 80%. 80% of the promised benefit will be secure. So will be funded through higher contributions if need be, but only 80% of it. And the remaining 20% of the benefits, well, those can be allowed to vary. Those, if, if really the experience, we have a bad experience, then you can lose up to 20% of, of the benefit. But if, but if we, we get better returns, then you get better benefit also. It's, it's, it's a target benefit approach. It's, 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 it's a way to share risk between generations in a way so that not all the risk falls on the future generations. Some of it also falls on the other older generations, and and you can do that using like some sophisticated prob- prob- probabilistic uh, modeling, something we have done, and 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 you and you adopt a 
you take some risks, but you adopt a rate of return. You ask the fund manager to deliver a rate of return that is conservative enough so that benefits can be paid nine times out of ten. If you run many scenarios, yep. uh, you know, if, if, if you end up with, with a probability that 90% of the time you'll get there, you'll get to at least 80% of the promised benefit, yep. you know, you'll be able to pay at least 80% of it, nine times out of ten, then that, that's secure enough, you know. Perfect. And and so so there are ways to deal around that. And yeah, it, Alex, but it, but we, it, I would it, love to talk about this more. I do have to go to commercial break, but it's a it's a great topic. We could probably spend the entire hour talking about this. It's a real big passion of of Damien and mine uh, to to discuss this. But we'll bring you back on. We get a bit more information and more detail for sure. Thanks so much, Alex. Thank you very much. We've got an upcoming seminar uh, Tuesday. <clears throat> April the 25th, uh, 7 o'clock at the Oak Ridge Co-op, Wine and Spirits Go visit all of our friends down south. Just tell them a little bit about what they can expect. Yeah, you think the CPP has a problem on, on, your, on your retirement pension? Think about what you have in your own portfolio. How do you secure your income? And how do you profit and protect in these types of markets? We'll talk about that on Tuesday, April 25th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op, Wine and Spirits. Give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400 to reserve your seats or go online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Stick around after the break if you're interested to find out where you can get the best massage in the world. You're on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Um, we've got to spend a little bit of money on people spending on travel. Some of that travel includes spas. Mm-hmm. Right, resorts that have spas, and some of those spas have massages and kind of treatments. Some people work with Dave Popwich and need a massage. You now need a massage. Yeah, you got to let that tension out of the shoulders. That's yeah, right. There's a lot of tension when we're working with you, my friend. A lot of tension. We've got a wonderful guest with us today. He's going to help you understand where you need to go to let that tension out. Caitlin Dalton. She's the editor of Good Spa Guide. Caitlin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Okay, so we do know that our listening population, <clears throat> our audience, and Faisal loves to go to the spa mm-hmm. and get massage. So let's maybe start the conversation with uh, talking about some of the different types of massages that are available and all the extensive research you have been fortunate enough to do. <laughs> Indeed. There's, um, so uh, most massages are made up of the... Um, most massages will have had in the UK and the Americas um, will have been based on four main techniques, uh, which are European techniques, effleurage, petrissage, and frictions. Um, when you go to Asia, they're more different and unusual techniques. I don't know if you guys have ever had any Thai massages, uh-huh. tried those. Um, they tend to be involve a lot more stretching and joint rotation. So they're the ones if you see people getting beaten up or, or walked up and down the spa, they tend walked up and down their spine. They tend to be Asian style massages. Um, what most people have is something like a relaxation mas- massage. So you go in, there may be some tension around your neck that they'll work on in your lower back or um, upper shoulders. But generally, it's a nice relaxing experience. Um, the, if you move towards things like there are some other very unusual massage types like um, Watsu, which is a, mas- a massage which takes, which takes place in water. Mm-hmm. Um, or shiatsu, which is using finger pressure, so your therapist won't use their full hand, they'll use their fingers and their thumbs. Um, so choosing a massage really uh, is about what you're looking for, what your expectations are. If you're looking for a relaxing time, then Swedish or relaxation works. 
if you're looking to physically feel better and stretched, then you probably want to go sports or Asian. I, 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 I love that, the way you started that, because it, it is interesting, different cultural uh, approaches to it. Um, you know, that Thai massage, I just chuckled because I was in Thailand, had a massage, and I felt like I just got beat up, right, when I was done. Yeah. So it, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to know the different cultural approaches to that. So knowing, I mean, again, you've been fortunate enough to perhaps have more massages worldwide experiences than most. What are some of the best places to get a massage in the world and why? Um, so different um, countries have different kind of belief systems in traditional medicine. So in India, it's Ayurvedic. Thai have their own um, medical system. China has its own medical system. Um, and they tend to be, um, if you buy into the system, if you believe in the ethos, if you love the culture, that works really well for you. Mm. So, for example, Ayurvedic medicine uh, from India and massage um, is a lot about herbs and poultices and oils and smells and scents and warmths. Um, so uh, some use very warm oil, not quite hot, but very warm oil. If you're going to Thailand, that that is, I think your experience is much more about stretching and uh, pressure points mm-hmm. for using their fingers. Um, personally, for me, I think it's a lot about the setting. If you're in, you know, a beautifully warm room or a room with a view or something that um, smells nice or they're using fresh plants and flowers, that really kind of gives the X factor. Um, the, um, one of the ones I tried, I went to recently, we were in the Maldives and um, in one of the resorts in the Maldives, there's an underwater treatment room. So you're overlooking coral. So you can literally have a massage while looking at the fishes, looking at the fishes swimming past. Mm. Um, so it's, it's experiential. It's not just what your therapist does. So that's very important. It's all the other things that are surrounding you. I think that's, uh, I think that's a great point. Where should, um, I mean, if you had to pick one or two or your top three, whatever it might be, where would you suggest people look into to have this amazing uh, sort of spa massage experience? Um, so, good question. Um, I tend to, um, it's really easy to get hooked in Asia because a lot of massage and holistic therapy comes from Asia. Um, I've had some very good Ayurvedic massages um, because there are holistic treatments and there's lots of things going on. Um, I've had some really good, um, there's a type of massage called Povakama, which is four-handed massage. I'm not sure if you've tried that, but you have two therapists who work in sync, which is a very different experience. Um, I think um, Europe, we tend to do very um, luxurious massages. So it's not just about, um, you know, uh, having the massage we I went to one recently which you um, have the massage and then you're served chocolates and uh, champagne. And um, in Europe, we tend to do things quite um, over the top uh, when we're talking about massages. <laughs> you had Dave at chocolate, you know that, right? That's right. <laughs> Sounds very civilized for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, chocolate is a really interesting one. People use it in facials and in massages, and it smells delicious, but just feels really odd on your skin afterwards. Well, that sounds terrific. Um, Caitlin, we've got to leave it there. Uh, I appreciate all of your input, and um, if anybody needs to get ahead, a hold of you, do you have a website or, anybody, or a site that anybody can go to to do some further research? Yeah, we're just uh, goodspaguide, all on word.co.uk.
Fantastic. Thank you for joining us. We've been joined by Caitlin Dalton, editor of the Good Spa Guide. Before we sign off on, uh, I think, another good show on the relaxed show, right, the last piece of our show. Let's remind everybody about the upcoming seminar. Yeah, how do you have a relaxing retirement is a good way of putting it, right? On Tuesday, April 25th, 7 p.m. at the Oak Ridge Co-op Wine and Spirits, you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. All right, and so any of the topics we've covered in today's show, can uh, you can re-listen to those uh, at our archive at morethanmoneyradio.com and includes all of our past shows as well. So feel free to take advantage of that. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on News Talk 770. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.